you know, I, I can see you mostly, but uh, can you s- smile at somebody next to you and just say, Merry, Merry Christmas. Go ahead. Just, just go for it. Come on. Bless them. Merry Christmas. Yeah. That smile is very important too. All right. I want, to, I want to start, though, by having us read what is probably a, you know, classical passage of Scripture around Christmas time. And again, I feel like I'm with, in, with this campus every week, and so this is just being with us and being together in a different way for me. Um, as we share this word, though, Matthew 1, verse 18, if you want to follow along there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, because my message is Jesus, the gift of Jesus, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way that when his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged we might say in our vernacular, to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So let's just stop there for a moment because let's discuss the custom of the day. Because in their day, engagement and betrothal, when you read about it in the Bible, is different than our day. The betrothal engagement that is being referred to here was actually like a binding contract. It wasn't entered into in any way lightly. They were, here's the thing. When Joseph and Mary were betrothed at the time of of Christ here in this season in, in Israel, they were actually already considered a man and wife in every legal and religious sense. That's different than the way we do things. Though, and this is very important, even though legally and religiously they were considered man and wife, they had not lived together, nor had they consummated the marriage until the wedding day, as would be what many who follow Christ still today would do. And in this case, though it's important for us to just plant this in our head, that that they did see each other as a man and wife. And the reason that was the case, husband and wife, is because um, you're going to, that's why the word divorce is going to come up. You're going to say, well, they never even got together. They haven't even been, they're not, but they were already in their minds and in the minds of the culture and society at the time considered that way. It was just a matter of getting to the point of consecrating that, that and consummating the marriage. And so, and that's going to, and by the way, that explains, and it's going to explain Joseph's shock and sadness and his despair uh, at ending the marriage re- arrangement. Watch what happens, because it says, when, again, when it says, and her husband, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, you see that, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That's the reason. Now, we're given a character appraisal here. He was a good man. He was a godly man. But really, two things are clear. One, Joseph is not spiteful. His first reaction is to cover Mary, to discreetly divorce her before the the marriage is ever consummated. And he's, he's not going to complete that. He doesn't believe. She's pregnant, and he... He decides, I'm going to divorce you. I'm not going to complete this marriage and finish it and start in this new way with you. There's no way. Because he knew he wasn't the father. But he did not want to shame her. 
And the other thing that is also there and is equally true is that he did not believe that what was going on inside of Mary was a God thing. And I've tried to imagine that conversation. You can too. I mean, when Mary is pregnant and, and shares that with Joseph, he just didn't buy it. There's no way. You could, okay, you got to be kidding. No, no. I may be simple, but I am not an idiot, all right? And I don't know, I don't know who he is, but I'm not marrying you but I love you and I'm not going to shame you. We will end this, but we will do it discreetly. I won't do it in public. But here's the thing, while it's on his mind, and oh, how it must have been on his mind. Again, for his world, I mean, you read it and you go, oh, yeah, this is what happened. No, but think about it from Joseph's perspective. His world is in emotional uh, turmoil. Uh, he loved her. All his dreams for a happy life, gone. They're just gone. And one thing that makes, it becomes apparent to me, and again, just put yourself into it for a moment. He doesn't believe her. He's not going to shame her. He's not going through with this. I don't want to have any more discussion about this somehow. Is God, what are you? I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what to do with that. Um, all I'm going to say is we're not going to be together. And I, and, and I think one of the things that's pretty clear is he can't sleep. He's not sleeping well. And... You know, he's so sad, and I imagine that he just can't stop thinking about it. And, he, and he's angry, he's sad, he's hurt. Some of us can relate. If you've ever felt emotionally traumatized, either by wounds of another, in this case, Joseph's wounds were from Mary in his mind, or self-inflicted wounds, if, you've, if we've ever felt that feeling, right, then it makes total sense why Joseph couldn't sleep. I mean, what, what we do is we start going over things in our mind. We can't sleep. We, we can't get over it. We start walking down pathways. Things, it just, it just consumes us, right? We, it, it's hard. And I totally get why Joseph was not really in a full sleep here. He's kind of half asleep. He couldn't sleep. It makes total sense. He couldn't stop thinking about it. And in that sleepless state with so much on his mind, he has this dream, this vision, and in the middle of this dream and vision, it's half awake and half asleep, verse 20. Look what it says. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, right? In this kind of half-sleep, half-awake state, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not be reluctant to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, God and she will bear a son and you are to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins and then we're told in verse 22 as the writer shifts in Matthew's account all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet what prophet by the prophet behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son have you ever wondered why the word Emmanuel, which has already come up in our worship service, 
is part of the Christmas story and the Christmas account and where it came from and what does it even mean? Matthew says, he quotes the prophet, it's the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel in the Hebrew means God with us. Sometimes you'll see it with an E. It's kind of the Greek version of it. Same thing, God with us. This was part of the vision dream that Joseph was given when, the, when he was told that he will be Emmanuel, in, in, in the quotation from Isaiah's passage, right? That is, is literally, as we're told here it, in Matthew's account, the angel tells him it's going to be, his name is to be Jesus. But then in Matthew's account, we're told that it is connecting us back to a moment in pro- prophecy. And, and that his name, right? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary, he took Mary his wife, he took his wife. And again, I have this moment, right, this moment where you try to imagine it again. Mary, Mary, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I had a dream as well. And in that dream, I... I, All I can say is, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you, right? There's this beautiful moment. I don't understand how it's possible, but I I believe you. Yes, and and his name will be Jesus. It will be. That's what we will name him. I agree with you. I will raise him as my own. I don't know what God is doing. I just know I'm part of this story, and I will support you in any way that I can. Yes, yes, that is what his name will be. His name will be Jesus. And look what it says in verse 25. And he, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And a few things that, that Joseph was told concerning the baby, now conceived in Mary's womb. Obviously, the first one is that his name was to be called Jesus. And, and for those of us who are going to be kind of engaging this in different ways, I'm going to just put some different things up. And, and then I have some, you know, along the way, especially if we're, if we're note takers, or we're really trying to touch on some of the things that really we want to sit with for the rest of the week. But let, me, let me just suggest that the name of Jesus means God's salvation and God saves. And this child will be, as they are both told, Mary and Joseph, the Savior, a Savior for the world. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And do you know what is one of the most remarkable things about that statement? His name will be Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know what? That that name is also a prophecy. Like his very name is a prophecy. Think about that. His name is a prophecy. And look what it says. It says that uh, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can see that. But the name of Jesus and the name and the, and the title and Emmanuel is God with us, the one who saves. I, I mean, you look at it, he will save his people from their sins. His name is that. That is literally what he will do. Now, you look closely, again, just sitting with this. You note that Emmanuel 
is part of an old-time prophecy that I mentioned was quoted by the angel from the book of Isaiah. Well, actually just quoted from the book of Isaiah, not from the angel. And I want, I want you to see this because it, it's something to be aware of as well. If you go back, because I, I started thinking about this, Emmanuel, and why in the middle of this it's turned in that direction, right? You go back there, you see it, and it turns to this discussion of Emmanuel. So the birth of Christ is connected to the idea of Emmanuel, but a lot of times people don't realize exactly where it came from. And so I think it's helpful to understand the context of Emmanuel. I mean, we, we talk about Jesus being the Savior, but he is also God with us, Emmanuel. And if you go back to the book of Isaiah, which you can see here in, in Isaiah 7, it says, there, this is where it comes from. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is what the writer of the gospel is referring back to. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse eat the evil and choose the good. There is going to be a, not only a restraint that characterizes his life, but an essential goodness as well that is shown up. But that discussion of Emmanuel, what is fascinating, when you, that was Isaiah 7. That was written 700, almost 750 years before Christ. What is fascinating, though, is when you go back and try to understand the context of Emmanuel, the historical context in the book of, of Isaiah, where it first shows up, and that's what is being referred to here in the book of Matthew. The context has to do with a crisis that had arisen. In other words, that phrase that we just read about Emmanuel, like a virgin shall conceive, you will call it, that, that scripture comes out of a crisis. If you read the book of Isaiah, which is where it comes from, that crisis has to do with the fact that uh, there is this feeling on the part of the king at the time, a man named Ahaz, who now begins to feel that he is in peril. And he calls, and Isaiah and him start to discuss their situation. And uh, the prophet Isaiah is talking to him, and because the two kings were coming against Jerusalem, and look what it says here. Again, this is the verse earlier in the, in the chapter, Isaiah 7, 2. I just wanna, I want us to see this. It says that when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. I, that's a, I love that description. It, it's, it, shake before the wind. But here's the thing. That is, this is what starts the conversation that leads to the declaration about this, this Emmanuel, right? It starts here because Isaiah and Ahaz are having this discussion about what's about to happen, and he's terrified. And, I, and Isaiah essentially tells Ahaz, you be calm because, and trust in the Lord, Right? And, to, and he says, you need to ask for a sign of God's favor. While the king is afraid and the people are afraid, Isaiah says, ask for a sign for the favor of God. What happens, though, is Ahaz, if you read Isaiah 7, he declines. No, I don't want to. And, 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 then, and then what happens is in response to Ahaz saying, no, I don't want to. Then Isaiah says, 
Well, I, I will then, I will, I will, you know what? You will, you will not, you don't want us to ask for a sign, but I will give you the sign anyway. The Lord himself will give a sign for deliverance. And that sign will be that a son will be born. A sign of deliverance. The promise was perhaps partially fulfilled at the birth of a son to Isaiah that is recorded in the next chapter, chapter 8. But it had a deeper meaning. So again, that deeper meaning was connected to the fact that God was tipping his hand. God was giving us a clue. He was foreshadowing the plan of salvation. But remember where it comes out of. The, the word itself from Isaiah comes out of a plea because of fear and a crisis. And out of that crisis, Isaiah says, ask for a sign. The king says, I don't, I don't want to know what to do. I know I'm not going to. And Isaiah says, well, then God himself will give you a sign. And that sign will be this. There'll be a son, there's going to be a son born, Emmanuel, God with us. And, what's, and, and again, you know what's amazing? If you get, can you guys put that, uh, the Emmanuel verse back up one more time, 714, if you could put it up there? Look at, you know, see, the, what's fascinating is the phrase Emmanuel, God with us, has never occurred before in the scriptures up to this moment. In fact, it only ever, by the way, ever, the word Emmanuel only occurs two times in the Old Testament, chapter 7 and then chapter 8 of Isaiah. And incredibly, it doesn't occur again or after, by the way, until the moment of Matthew's account around when the angel is speaking to Joseph. That's the next time the word Emmanuel. So it's, it's, it's incredible when you think about it in this way. And if we push, if you were to go back into Isaiah's passage and you push further into it again, how, why does it get said about Jesus? Because that was what it was pointing towards. But if you go back to the account, one of the things you begin to realize in, in Isaiah 7 is it's really, again, I just, it's, it's enthralling, is that Isaiah says, well, then God himself will give you a sign. Ahaz, if you, don't, if you don't ask for it, I'll tell you, God himself will give you a sign. And he begins to talk to him about, about how uh, Emmanuel will be a sanctuary, how Emmanuel will be a rock of offense. Recognize any of those things. And finally, in this stunning climax of prophetic declaration, we read the passage, the singular passage that anticipates Messiah in all the Old Testament, the Older Testament. And it's in your handout. Look at it, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Because what basically Isaiah says is the ultimate sign of God of deliverance will be given is this. For to us a child is born. Do you see that? To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child is different than any other child that will ever be born. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold Hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It was, that comes out of that conversation with Ahaz. In the, and that's how it begins. And it's like, it's like these words just shoot through time. Do we see this? Do we see what's being written in Isaiah 9? It's a prophecy of Messiah. It's a prophecy that Joseph was being fulfilled. 
right? And you can take that, that down as well. But it was a prophecy that was being fulfilled literally by Jesus in Mary's son. And it connects all the way back to Isaiah 7, right? Isaiah 7. And Isaiah connects it all the way forward to Jesus. And so I guess from my mind, when I look at this, I, I, for one, it just, it, it kind of hit me afresh what we're doing. That account and the reason God includes the reference to Emmanuel, like the two most powerful, profound words that are included in that moment with Joseph is the, sa- the idea of Jesus as the Savior and the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, the one who saves and God with us. And here's something I just, and now I want to just kind of move through a couple of things here and just, and I'm going to quickly connect them. But I want to suggest something, because again, ask for a sign, Ahaz. No, then God himself will give you a sign. He is the giver. For unto us a son is given. Right? Think about that. Here's a thought as we make our way into Christmas. God is the ultimate giver. God gave and God gives. And listen, we can never outgive God. Ask for a sign, no. Then God himself will give you one. Think about that. How beautiful is that? For unto us a child is born and unto you a son is given. God is the ultimate giver. Think about the connection to John 3, 16, which I have made the case. We've been listening to the Rise and Shines. That, that is not just a verse about the cross. It's also a, ber- a verse about the manger. It's both about Jesus and his giving of his life, and it's about Bethlehem and the birth of the Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right? That we would not perish but have everlasting life. God comes into this world to give us his life. And that makes this next thing that I'm about to say even more meaningful, that the greatest gift that has ever been given to us is the gift of Jesus. Do you see that? We have a pathfinder. We have a way maker. We have a savior. We have an example of not only of what God, listen, people say, what is God like? Look in the face of Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. For Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We not only have an example of what God is like, but we have an example of what it is to aspire to in our humanity. For there is no one more beautiful than him. The one born to us not only covers us in our sins as the Savior, but he literally is an example for us of how to live a life of love. He is the ultimate gift, the example of humanity at its best and the love of God. That's what Jesus is. And we need to hold on to that wonder. But I guess if I wanted to take this anywhere, this is where I would take it. That the word in both cases came out of a crisis, as it so often does. The deepest and the most profound seasons, and if I could put parenthetically, the most profound seasons of promise can flow out of the darkest places. Think about both the context of Isaiah's declaration of Jesus 
essentially, and the situation that is described with Joseph and Mary. In both cases, they had to do with crisis. And out of the crisis comes the promise. And some of us need to hear that. Both cases, the promise. What are we going to do? That's the cry of Ahaz. We're surrounded. We'll be overwhelmed. Go, can God help us? God will give you a sign. And, that, and out of that conversation comes the promise of Messiah, the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of God shot through time, essentially, forward. And that, that is them, and think about the crisis that was, where did, the word, where did the word come to Joseph? Out of crisis. Out of the darkness came the light. It's in, there's, I hope we see it, that there's so much there for us. Let us not fear the dark places. Let us not fear the crises. Oftentimes, it's out of the crisis in life, out of the, the, the danger zones. As we turn towards the Lord, even imperfectly, what happens is God brings forward a word, a promise of a season. The Lord breaks through with something magnificent and wonderful and beautiful. In this case, it was the Son. It was Jesus it was the promise of Emmanuel, promise of the Savior coming out of the crisis. And then with Joseph, what am I going to do? My world's turned upside down. This is disaster for me. My life is done. I have no future with Mary. Out of that comes the word. No. God is doing a new thing. In both cases, it came out of crisis. And I can't help but think that sometimes out of the places of, in our lives where we find ourselves crushed or in most uh, oh, feeling overwhelmed, uh, pinned down, torn up on the inside, and we're under pressure. That out of those places comes the word of the Lord if we stick with God at the place of promise. So in this Christmas season that we're in right now, we need to thank him. Here it is for the gift of promise because he is the Savior, the one who saves Stay with me, loved ones. Where do we need him to move? The broken places. Where do we need him to move? He's the one who saves. Where do we need him? Oh, come among us, O Savior. My heart leaped this morning, by the way, when I was sitting with this afresh. Where do you need him to move? Let your light overcome death's shadow as we sing in our, in our carols. Overcome death's shadow. Yes, light of the world. Overcome it. Where is that shadow in us? We welcome you, Lord, to come into that and bring your promise into that. Bring your word of promise into this dangerous, difficult, hard place, painful place. Bring your word of promise. Last couple of things. We thank him not just for the gift of promise, but we thank him also for the gift of presence. He is why? Because he's not only our Savior, he is Emmanuel, God with us now and forever, never alone, and always a friend, a king who will never leave us or forsake us. Listen to me. God would allow his own son, Jesus, to be abandoned so we would never be abandoned. 
Jesus allowed himself to be abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. And one more thing. It struck me five minutes before service. I was thinking about this. Jesus came to us as a baby dependent. It was partly because of the prayer that was going on. And somehow it flashed into me my life. And how if we live long enough, we come into the world dependent and we leave our world dependent. And that is meant to turn us to him. That the true wise man, the true wise woman turns to the Lord. He will never leave me. Again, he, he was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. How beautiful is that? Do we understand? I mean, this Christmas, even let's sing that promise of his presence and promise of everything that he's given for us, the promise that is for us. And then this is the last thing, and I'll leave it right here because it was just flowing out at the time. The gift of gratitude can return, right? The gift of gratitude we can return us with our lives and with our worship. Let us sing our song for him. I mean, what can I give you back, Lord, for this? What can I give you back? No situation irredeemable. No situation too difficult that you cannot deliver me. No situation, no crisis that you cannot actually turn and in some cases bring the most profound words into my life out of those places because you have a pattern of doing that. And then on top of that, you give me your presence that will walk with me all through my life and into the next when I have nothing left. I might as well be dependent on you now in my strength because that's where I'm going to be for the rest of my life anyway. And I give you my life. Why should I want to do anything else? I've got the best thing. And here's the thing. If we can return in, in a world where everybody's searching and wandering to this thing and to that thing and trying to find meaning here and propping up their, our needs with the purchase of stuff or with new systems and in false ways of trying to see our value and all the stuff that everybody's saying out there, come back to the simplicity of Jesus bow our knee before the manger and worship the king. What can we give him? We can give him. Can you put that last one back up one more time? We give him our life and our worship. Let us sing our song for him. And here's the thing. I mean literally sing our song for him. Like in two days, we really want to sing to him. I want us to sing when we come to Christmas Eve, those of us who are able to just sing with all of our heart. Like, I want to sing my song of gratitude to you, Lord. And then I want to sing with you with my life. That's what I want to do. Those things. All right. We'll pray. And then this is what we'll do. We'll pray. Van will come up. We'll have a quick time of giving. After that, I'll just close this with a final benediction, and we'll head out. And as many of us as possible, let's get back here and share our adoration with him and sing our song to him, and drive home our love for him, okay? Lord, I just ask that you would allow what we've just shared to have meaning for us. Where is the promise we are to hold on to? Help us to do it. I'm so grateful that nothing is beyond. We have a track record of how you work in, in the dark, confusing places and anxious spaces of our life. Be the great answer we need. What shall we do? 
God will send you a sign. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Help us to embrace you, Christ of Christmas, with all that we have, and sing our songs to you with sincerity, humility, and joy in our heart for a love that is relentless. Let's give it back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. Amen. Amen.